1: Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you this morning. Taking your calls 801 575 8255. You can text us at 575 00. I will try not to talk so quickly. Kickoff for BYU football is at 5 o'clock tonight, but KSL's extended pregame coverage with Mitch Harper Matt Biamonte will start at noon, and that is being brought to you by UCCU love where you bank. Back to our phone lines now this morning. Joel waiting patiently in Centerville. Good morning, Joel. What is your question?
2: Good morning. Hey, um, our backyard has a pretty steep slope to it. And so we've got a couple of, I guess you'd say, rock gardens, if you will, pretty good sized ones where you have flowers and bushes and stuff. And I was going to put some mulch on there to uh, help retain the moisture. Um, But I'm wondering if I put the mulch on there, it would probably just slough off because of the slope. I'm wondering if there's any other options or if I should just not worry about it.
3: Well, have you seen that the soil is washing away from under the rocks?
2: No, the soil is, seems fine. I, the little rocks kind of make their way down to the bottom, you know, to the grass grass line, edge of the grass, but the soil's in place. I was just wondering if it would be worth the effort to try to keep the moisture in the ground a little bit longer.
3: Well, you are in, a, in, an, in an extremely <laughs> difficult situation to where the mulch will probably just slough off to the bottom of the slope. And so if you were yeah. trying to hold the soil and maybe retain some moisture, you may, where you've got pockets big enough, try planting uh, spots of ground cover you know, like Creeping Jenny or a sedum, depending on the amount of water that's there, and letting those help hold the soil in places. And because they're providing some shade, that will help retain moisture there. And that would be one option if you know that the mulch is going to just, you know, run off.
2: <clears throat> yeah. Okay, great. We'll take a look at some more ground cover. We do have some on there, but there are some... Uh, bare spots, if you will. You
3: know. Yeah. And, you know, In, so. in drier areas, if there's full sun, I would really recommend sedums. If there's more moisture, Creeping Jenny, or um, there's several out there that you could do. But, you know, those ground covers are aggressive, and so you need to be a little careful because they can sometimes get into your lawn, but otherwise I think they would do a good job. You could even put perennials in there because you can often find three or four inch perennial pots from local garden centers that are a little smaller. And so you could plug in, you know, Gallardias and you know, like a blanket flower. There are many things you could put in there.
2: Well, the Gallardias and what was the second
3: one? A blanket flower is the same thing. They just bloom well, a lot of the summer, but just depending, you could do a mix of spring, summer, and fall blooming perennials. If you have holes in there, that are big enough.
2: Right, right. Yeah, we've tried to do some of that, but we'll uh, put some more stuff in there. uh, Yeah, I mean, if you can find
3: some smaller starts of whirling butterfly, those bloom from uh, late spring into fall and would probably grow quickly and help hold. So there's lots of things you can do.
2: Great. Okay. Thanks for the suggestions. Appreciate all you guys do.
1: All right, Joel. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Thanks for listening. Uh, Next listener, Tan, says, what ingredient can you add to help dissolve leaves that are in the dirt?
3: Nitrogen fertilizer is the best thing. And what it does is it frees up more free nitrogen. Well, it adds free nitrogen to the soil, which microorganisms need to break down those leaves. And so there's nothing that, there's not like this magic um, melt that the witches would use and be like, leaves <laughs> decompose, you know. But adding nitrogen will help them decompose more quickly.
1: Okay. What type of lawn fertilizer is good to put down now?
3: You know, it just straight nitrogen usually. Without soil testing, I can't really tell you. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's a lot of marketing on fertilizers and... You know, if they're advertising slow release, you know, for the middle of the summer, that's great. And there's some advantages to sometimes of the more expensive fertilizers. But in the end, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium content on a bag of fertilizer that's $80 isn't going to be different than one that's $30 if they have similar numbers. And so it's so cool right now. I just find the cheapest fertilizer you can. I've noticed that, like, Walmart was clearing out some of theirs. And just get it down.
1: So the next person wants to know then, should you apply fall fertilizer if the lawn's covered with leaves, if you intend to rake them up?
3: I would get the leaves first and then put the fertilizer down.
1: Okay. Uh, Next listener wants to know about, uh, they have old beds of Creeping Charlie, Myrtle, and English Ivy. They're in three different beds, and they wonder if they should be cut down for the winter. And if so, how would they do that? No,
3: they don't need to cut them down for the winter.
1: They don't get very tall, do they? I no,
3: mean, the Myrtle is also called Vinca. Creeping Charlie is also right. called Creeping Jenny. Um but they Just don't, leave them alone.
1: I mean, they, yeah, I've never touched mine.
3: No, if they have leaves and things in there, a leaf blower can get those out. And if you do go in in the spring, there's been a few times that I worked for a family that had a Vinca major, what they're calling Myrtle, and it was getting a little bit tall and out of hand. And so I took a string trimmer to it and then mowed it Mm -hmm. just to make it look a little more tidy. And I did that in May and it came back by June and looked pretty. And so it's not unprecedented to do things like that, but you don't want to do it in the fall. I would do it in late spring. So it has all summer to recover if they need to, but there oftentimes is not a need.
1: Uh, The one that I did wonder about was the English ivy. Because English doesn't, I mean, it gets kind of dead behind the English ivy. It
3: can. And if you cut it back, it may take a summer to recover. It eventually will. But it's one of those that if you plant English ivy, you had better do your research. Because it will stick to buildings and rip up the brick and do a lot of things like that. And so you need to know what you're getting into. But This is
1: already planted, so they don't yeah, have a choice. even...
3: With English ivy, there's no inherent need to cut it back.
1: Yeah, you're going to want to watch it around buildings, though, or courtyards. Trees. I speak from experience on this one. And it does, you know, it doesn't seem very aggressive when you first plant it, but the more mature it gets, the more aggressive
3: Four, it is. Four five years down the road, yeah. it rears its ugly head.
1: It truly does. So English ivy on top of it.
3: has been banned in many, many states. I love because the look it's so of it, aggressive. okay,
1: but it is aggressive. If you if you can't spend time in your yard, you know, if you're not spending a lot of time out there, it's going to get out of control.
3: It will, and it's taking over forests and areas. And so the Pacific Northwest, the Atlantic states, it's been banned in a lot of areas. And I, you know, it's I think that there are others that are as aggressive, the Virginia creeper and um Oh, What's the other one? Boston ivy, I think, are just as aggressive. Oh, they are. But yeah, you really need to know what you're getting into. Even other vines that don't stick, you know, you have the autumn blooming clematis, which mm-hmm. is beautiful, mm-hmm. but it gets enormous. And if you don't have it on a, a sturdy fence or something, it'll collapse the fence over time. Oh, for time.
1: sure. For sure. Last year, mine got so big and went out over the other side and. It'll easily take down offense if you're not watching it.
3: Yeah, it well and so you really need to be aware of what you're getting into and one of the continuing themes on the show is do your research and you with these things and I know this other person already hasn't planted but if you're planning on such things, research what they do to know that it's going to be a good
1: fit. And make sure you trim back that English ivy if it's anywhere near something at that you love. At least monthly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at five seven We'll be right back.
0: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.
1: Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you this morning, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 575-00.
3: The conversations we have sometimes uh, off And that's air. why
1: I'm distracted. And it comes from this question. And the question is, is malorganite a good fertilizer?
3: Yes, it is. It's uh, one that is a darker color and it's, industry uses in golf courses to where they'll put it on putting greens because the bent grass is really susceptible to snow mold and then will kill it. And so they use this darker colored fertilizer to melt the snow off putting greens. But it is manufactured from human poo.
1: Which is where the problem became began over the break.
3: Yeah. So it's processed and treated so it's safe to use. But sometimes people get like, well, "What?"
1: I'm still doing that, yes. And uh, Dave told too many jokes during the break as well, which <laughs> totally distracted me. But okay, so it's can, a good fertilizer yeah. for where, like anywhere.
3: What? The analysis I think is either six or nine percent nitrogen. That's all. But it is a lower nitrogen, but it also adds organic matter to your soil. And being the fact that it's poo, but. Um, so it does build so your people soil. people watching
1: the camera wonder why I grab my head. This is it. <laughs> this, is the, this is the Maria face palming oh, through the program. Face palming.
3: So okay. yeah, it's actually more seriously. It's actually regulated by the federal government, and it's very safe. And we we're not as squeamish about putting.
1: I know we talk about manures other, yes, from other I animals, I know.
3: but when people hear human, they're like. Huh? I'm still doing yep. that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's fine. You can use it. You can actually buy bags of it from IFA, Steve Regan, I think Cal Ranch, local garden centers. It's carried, and sometimes it's used as a reduced-risk fertilizer that will benefit the soil. And if you can get over the source, it actually is pretty good.
1: Never know what you're going to hear on the KSL Greenhouse Show. Next listener would would like to know if they, they want to grow a basil plant inside... Um, what do you recommend for a grow light? And let me just say that the basil that um, you find inside the uh, produce department isn't really one that you're going to want to plant.
3: No, they need to... Explain why.
1: I've tried this. This is why I know this. It can
3: get tall and leggy, and it's really susceptible, at least in my experience, to... So don't
1: buy the kind in the produce department.
3: Yeah, and so you want to find some seeds that might be a dwarf or something more geared toward growing in a container. The grow lights are less important on where they're from because you can go get 10 or $15 shop lights from a hardware store and just, I think they're T8 fluorescent bulbs and build an inexpensive wooden frame and that will be fantastic. You know, you're into it 30 bucks, mm-hmm. 35 bucks for everything. You want the light to be adjustable up and down. So you want to hang it from chains on hooks that you can just lift it. You can buy pre-made grow kits. Amazon has a couple. of small yeah. smaller ones, you like can get for them a any kitchen size. counter yes, or something. You yes, you can. I have some that I have a 4x4 four four table and I have three grow lights over it. And those are around 100 to $130 on Amazon. So there's lots of options. And it's more important that you have either a fluorescent or LED source. But it's, it's
1: more important to where you place six sunlight.
3: inches above the plants.
1: That's the most important. Thing. It is. And
3: incandescent bulbs are not good. But otherwise, fluorescent LED are, are acceptable as long as they're within that six inches.
1: All right. Jim is on the line in Murray. Good morning, Jim. What is your question?
2: morning for taking my call. Um, I have two overgrown privet bushes. Uh, they're about six feet tall and in diameter, maybe, maybe another five feet in diameter. I would like to aggressively cut those back down so that they're only about four feet tall and uh, maybe two feet in diameter. Is it okay? To aggressively- the two feet
3: in diameter might be problematic over time because you'll cut... A lot of the branching off that would produce leaves, and you'll have two skeletons with growth on the top. So, you may not want to go that narrow, but what you would do to reduce the size is a technique called renewal pruning, to where you go in toward the middle of the bush and just prune out the oldest branches, about 25%. That'll bring the size down to four by four quite easily.
2: What about the height? I'd like to reduce it by about two feet.
3: That will reduce the height and the width to about four by four.
2: So just prune out the old branches, huh?
3: Yep. And what's left behind will form a nice shrub that still has lots of foliage. And you can trim those to maybe three, three and a half feet, but two feet's a little narrow for a bush that big. And the other solution would be to tear them out and there is a privet called straight talk privet that's about a two by 10 that you could just keep the top sheared. That would be one option, or you could get like tall hedge buckthorn and keep those trimmed to two or three feet wide. But for a, a shrub that wants to be 10 by 10, two feet wide is just too narrow over time.
2: When would be the best time to do that pruning?
3: In mid March.
2: Great. Thank you very much.
3: You're welcome.
1: Thanks for your call this morning. Uh, We do have a follow-up question about the Milorganite. Uh, The person would like to know, does it have an odor and will it repel deer and rabbits?
3: It probably won't repel deer and rabbits and it has an odor, but it's not bad. Um, It's not like one of those things I'd want to be like Scrooge McDuck with a vault full of Milorganite (laughs) swimming in it. Oh, but boy. it's one of those things that if you apply it correctly, you won't have any sewer smell in your yard.
1: All right. I'm going to try and squeeze Pam in here. Pam, I hope I can get you in before the top of the hour news here. What is your question? Um, about three weeks ago, I noticed that I have aphid eggs all over each of my plum and plum mixed trees. Now, the leaves are starting to fall. Do I need to spray? What do I do with these leaves that are infected?
3: Uh, Just take the leaves and send them to green waste or compost them. If they get heated up, they won't uh, survive. And I would highly recommend doing your delayed dormant spray in the spring. And that dormant oil will knock most of them out.
1: All right, Pam, thanks so much for your call this morning. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. When we come back, we will be talking about wrapping tree trunks. Ton has put together a video for you. It'll be up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. You can also find it on YouTube. And uh, I wanted to tell folks that we do have pregame coverage for BYU football coming up at 12 o'clock. And game tip today is at 5. We'll be back in just a few minutes.